Welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast with Ruth Haley Barton. In this season of the podcast, Ruth invites leaders with diverse callings and expertise to dialogue and explore how spiritual transformation intersects with some of the most significant topics of our time. Friends, we are excited to be in the third episode of the Ruth and Friends season of our Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. I am privileged to be speaking once again with my friend and colleague, Ron Rollheiser, Catholic priest, president of the Oblate School of Theology in Texas, a prolific author and speaker, and someone whom we've had the opportunity to interact with in the Transforming Community experience through his writings. We're talking today about Ron's book, Sacred Fire, A Vision for a Deeper Human and Christian Maturity. We're talking about stages of discipleship or the three struggles. So Ron, will you just recap where we've been in our conversation about the first two stages of discipleship and then lead us into our conversation about the third stage? Yes, Ruth. Um, in, in, in my view of the spiritual life and of just of human life, I always see three distinct phases so that there's the struggle early on in life to get our lives together. And then after we marry, we have a career and so on. The second phase is the struggle to give our lives away. And that's the longest stage of life that usually starts in your 20s. And it's going to end basically when, when you're facing a terminal diagnosis mm -hmm. sometime, or, you know, in, in aging and so on. But then the third phase, is which, which you haven't talked about, is the struggle to give our deaths away. Yes, and that is particularly significant right now because we're in Lent and we're speaking about the invitations of this particular season of the church year. And this struggle to give our deaths away seems to correspond with some of what God invites us into in the season of Lent. Yes, you know, and especially the culmination of the season of Lent, really, the Good Friday and, and so on. Um, so the image I'm going to use there's other images in Scripture. There's some rich images, for instance, Abraham and Sarah. Before I get to Jesus, let me talk about a couple of other images. Notice there's a powerful image in Scripture which we've never really massaged out. And that is when Abraham and Sarah, he's 80, she's 70, and God calls them to leave their home and go to where they don't know where they're going. They're postmenopausal. Then it takes them 20 years to get there. And then when they get there, She's 90, he's 100 to have a baby. And we have to ask ourselves, what is going on there? <clears throat> See, it's a powerful image of call to a new generativity after you've had your kids and so on. You're, you're called to a, a whole new journey. Okay. Now, in Jesus, you see that in this. In Jesus, you can take the gospel, the, the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and divide them perfectly into two phases. Up until Jesus is arrested and led away, that's his active life. And then after he's led away, that's his passive life. You know, he's crucified and so on. But it's interesting as Christians, and we usually don't massage this difference. We say Jesus lived for us. Jesus died for us. Jesus gave his life for us. And Jesus gave his death for us. As if you're the same thing. They're two very separate moments. But it's also going to be the same for us. That in your activity, you're giving your life for your family, your community, for this church, the world. When you die in your passivity and leading up to, you're going to be giving another gift to them. Um, you know, Henry Nouwen was the first contemporary writer to start writing on this. Um, you know, because usually, usually we, there's not a lot of literature on this. 
it's interesting. It's in scripture. It's in some of the great mystics. Now, today there's a literature developing that, in fact, the new book I'm writing after um, Sacred Fire is going to book called Insane for the Light. And it's a book on how do we give our deaths away. But let me give you this quote from Nowen, where Nowen says, there comes a point in your life where the question is no longer, what can I still do to make a contribution? The question becomes, how can I live now so that when I die, my death is my last great gift to my family, to the church, and to the world? So you say, you don't stop living, you don't stop doing things, but now you're doing it for a different reason. You're, you're giving your death away. Um, now, l- let me just do this, you know, the richness, the, the paradigm ultimately is Jesus, you know. Um, you know, we on Good Friday in our churches, we're going to read the Passion. You know, there's four passions, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But I think we misunderstand that word, you know, because see, in English, we take the word passion to mean like passion and suffering. So we're going to read about Christ's suffering. That's not what the word means. Um, it comes from passio, passivity. You know, if instead of saying the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark or Luke, if you say the passivity of our Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to see in every other time you read scripture, you could say the activity of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you read the a gospel this next Sunday, you can say the activity of Jesus Christ. It, the, this is the passivity. So we read about how what he did in his, his passiveness, you know, was something he couldn't do in his activity. Now, now that's an interesting mystery. Let me try to give you an analogy for this, a human one. And once you hear it, you know your own. Um, how do we give something deep in passivity? So here's an example. I know a woman, a friend of mine, who grew up in an alcoholic home, five siblings, and uh, her father's alcoholism completely destroyed the family. And her mother tried to keep the family together, uh, but she couldn't. So this, this woman said, by the time my dad died, the five siblings couldn't talk to each other. We couldn't be in the same house, the same, you know. And, and during her whole life, her mother tried to get them together for Thanksgiving, tried, and it didn't work. But then her mother died of cancer. And during the last week of her life, she was unconscious, you know, in hospice, couldn't speak. All the kids came home, and you know something? They reconciled. When she couldn't speak and couldn't do anything, she was able to do something she couldn't do with all her activity. That's also the same with Jesus. You know, during his lifetime, we didn't get him. The Christians did not get him. They got him in his death. He was the same as this woman. What she couldn't do in her life, she was able to do in her passivity. You know, that's a great mystery, which I think our society, because we're so hooked to what we're achieving, what we're doing, that we that we don't understand uh, in our, our passivity, sometimes we're giving off more than we can in our activity. Yes. Well, um, you know, you came to be with us here in the Transforming Center in 2016. You did an alumni retreat for us, for those who had been through the two-year Transforming Community experience, and your teaching on these things really shaped our life in community. We talk about these stages now quite effortlessly um, when we talk about death in particular, because I think this is a very different way of looking at death than we're all accustomed to. And then my mom went through her own journey um, to be with the Lord um, in that year, and she died on Christmas Eve in 2017. And your teaching on this really affected how I how I participated. 
in that experience, which was very sacred, very tender, very personal and intimate. But this whole idea of giving your death away, when I looked at her um, experience with death and how we were able to walk together, I could actually see the ways in which she was giving her death away. And it, in many ways, um, gave meaning to that experience. It um, elevated it as the sacred journey that it was. I, it, I have very specific ways now of talking about how she gave her death away. And I will say to people, my mom taught me how I want to do it. When I watched how she did it, I realized she just gave me the blueprint for how I want to walk out my own death. And so I, I thank you for this concept and for the language and the lens to look at this in a different way, because death is not the darkest thing. Um, we do have gifts to give, and people do give great gifts in the way that they give their deaths away. And this particular teaching helps us to live it, but it also helps us to watch others and to receive the gifts they have to give when that's the season that we're in with them. Ruth, if I can risk saying something, I would yes. expect for all the things your mother gave you and taught you when mm -hmm. she was young and active, yes, she gave you something special when you thought you were giving everything to her. You know, exactly. And and if you were to ask me, what is the most significant thing your mother's given you, I would say right now, she gave me um, a blueprint for how I would like to live that part of my life. She taught me how to die. She taught me. And that is a great gift to have because I feel very differently about that stage of my own life, having witnessed what she gave. I'll bet you feel differently. But this did some deep things to you. You're a deeper person than you were... You know, but your mother in her death gave you something, some precious gift. Yes, you're, you're, way more than than some of the other things that you might think would be more obvious and that, that a mother would give. You can't name, but they're, they're there. Yes, you know. Yes. And see, passivity does that. You know. Yes. And, and, um, and that's what you're asked to do when when your turn comes. You know. Right. Um, right. And what I also love is just the fact that it gives us a real vision for this part of life that seems so dark and difficult that. This teaching that you're bringing forward actually gives us a vision for how to have real meaning and um, to 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 know how to be with it, to know how to walk it out. Um, this is so important. I just feel like this is so significant. Well, um, how do we know when our generative discipleship is giving way to this need for a more radical kind of discipleship? What are the what are the cues? Not just the fact that we're physically dying, but how else might we know and recognize when we're being invited to give ourselves to this aspect of our discipleship? Well, you know, um, it's interesting. That, that, that's a very that's a good question. Very difficult question. Um, John of the Cross is my mentor. John of the Cross is you can come to that voluntarily. I want to talk about that, but just most people are going to come to it conscriptively. Yes. So most of the time, it's going to happen through the medical diagnosis, the mm -hmm. stroke, to off to the to the home. You know, a cancer diagnosis. It's going to happen. You know, that oftentimes it's going to happen conscriptively. You know that. Uh, and what you mean by that is it's going to be forced on us. Yeah. Yeah. It's yep. going to the doctor's mm -hmm. going to lay it on. Right. You. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then you all of a sudden know what journey you're on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but, he, but John of the Cross, and I would say. Ideally, we, we, we should try to enter that on our own. And, mm -hmm. You know, and that, that's what, in, in, in the book I'm writing right now, I want to talk about how um, we should come to a, a, a late generativity where at a certain point you, you, you yourself um, uh, decide, as no one says, it's no longer so much important what I accomplish, you know, 
Um, now it's, um, in fact, he makes, he has a wonderful distinction, he said, between, make a distinction between your achievements and your fruitfulness. You see, now it's not no longer so important to achieve, it's how am I going to be fruitful? Um, and so that you, uh, it's not that you stop doing things, but but you're doing the same things for a different reason. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say now, you might say, it's no longer so important that, um, I mean, it's important that you be a, a successful minister, you know, but now you're doing it not so much to achieve success as to say, this is when I want to leave my kids. You know, I, I want my kids to see my faith in this kind of way and so on, which would then, you know, as yet with your mother would be on her deathbed, they would be the final um, thing of this and so on. You know, medical stuff does queer things does and also you know uh, sometimes Christians we we don't take seriously what happens at the last minutes of it that they can also have seemingly a faith crisis like Jesus on the cross saying God my God why have you forsaken me you know it's interesting you know Kathleen Dowling Singh looks at uh, stages of dying by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross remember Elizabeth Kubler-Ross her last stage is acceptance and Kathleen Dowling Singh there's three more stages says after acceptance comes despair so, and after despair comes resignation so it said for instance take jesus in the in the garden the night before he gives his life to the father you know acceptance the next day on the cross he's shouting why have you forsaken me then they said then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit you know see so that sometimes great christians in their deathbeds you're not going to see this calm so on um uh, you know, sometimes you can see great agony and great struggle, and that almost looks like despair. You know, it happened to Jesus. It can happen to us. You know, um, see, and then he goes into ecstasy. But you know, like, and see, in resignation, where there's nothing she can do anymore, she dies. You know, um, which is different than uh, just acceptance, where you can go into a moment at a chapel and say, "God, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready." Um, that's as ready as you can be then. That's a good movement. That's Jesus in the garden. It's not Jesus of the cross. Ruth, can I, can I, can I say something else to this, you know, which comes from Scripture? And that is, see, in giving our death away, okay, um, and this is something we, we don't talk enough about in our churches, uh, we also give, release our spirit. Now, let me tell you what I mean by this. When you read the, the Gospel of John, and he has that long last supper scene with Jesus talking. And remember, this is it's when you first read it, you wonder why. Jesus keeps saying, It's better for you that I go away. If I don't go away, I can't give you the Holy Spirit. Why not? You know? He's, and, and at one point, John says, Jesus says, If I don't go away, you can't receive the Spirit. And John has some brackets. As of yet, there was no Holy Spirit. Now, he wasn't talking about the Holy Spirit ontologically, but functionally. Now, let me tell you what, what this means. Um, um, some years ago, it was a funeral here at our school. A woman who was wonderfully you known in the community for having this big heart. She fed all the stray dogs, the mayors, the neighbors' kids. She was just known of this, this woman, just this magnificent outreach. And she died. And we had a funeral, big funeral at school. So she had four daughters. And at, at the funeral, each of the daughters gave a, gave a little short eulogy, you know. So the first daughter, you know, gave her mom, mom's. Uh, you know, kind of the chronology, you know, uh, mom was born here, met dad, you know, you know, and the second daughter talked about her outreach, 
you know, to the poor and the stray dogs and mayors and so on, her big heart and so on. And her third daughter talked about, you know, some of the costs that cost her mother, you know, that, you know, on the surface, she did all this stuff, but, you know, she's a human being. She struggled with that. But then the fourth daughter trumped it. She went up and she says, you know, you've heard about my mom and you're all here because she was a great woman, but you don't realize that yet. You think you do, but you don't. She said, now, especially to the kids and grandkids, she says, she's going to come to you in the next months or years. And she's going to come to you respecting who you are, respecting what you believe in, and you're going to get her. You're going to understand exactly who this woman was uh, and, and what the gift she was in your life. See, that's exactly what happened with Jesus. We didn't get him. <laughs> we got him after the resurrection, after the Holy Spirit realized. Then we realized what we had. That's going to happen. You know, I always tell people, uh, there's good news and bad news for you. The good news is your kids are going to get you. The bad news is you first have to die. Ruth, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. after you're gone, your kids are exactly the wonderful woman you are. You know? well, there's something very hopeful about that. <laughs> we think we get it now, but you know, yeah. but see, and, and but the quality of, of our life and the quality of how you're, like your death. Like I'm sure you, Ruth, now, you, you went through the, I'm sure you get your mother more clearly now mm-hmm. than ever before. Because yeah. you're receiving her spirit now. Yes, and you mention in your book that when someone leaves us physically, we're given the chance to receive his or her presence in a deeper way. Um, how does that even happen? Why does that happen? Because that, that's the way it started. Uh, Is it because sometimes the physicalness of our life together and like even the constructs of our personality and things like that actually become obstacles or barriers while we're physically together on the planet, but when those constructs are gone that limited our way of knowing that we can actually receive more of yeah. the essence of who that person is and was? You know, maybe I'll put it in one expression. Mm-hmm. Death washes things clean, for bad mm-hmm. for good. Sometimes mm-hmm. you all realize how bad a person was. <laughs> you know, see, death takes away all of the, the emotion, all the body, and you just see it clearly. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, you, you, you get the person real clearly after they die. You know, it can use a human analogy, you know, Anthropologists tell us, and I don't know if it's your experience, you see, um, it's easier to be close to your grandkids and love them perfectly than to love your own kids. Mm-hmm. Your own kids are too close. They're clo- yeah. too close. You know, and with your grandkids, it's just the perfect distance. You mm-hmm. know, you can love them completely. There's nothing in between. And with your own kids, there's always some kind of tension and so on. Yeah. And that's what you have with each other as we're living till we die. And then it's yeah. And there's a, a deeper sense of responsibility for the outcome with your children than with yeah. your grandchildren. I can love my grandchildren, but I am not responsible for the, the raising of them. I'm not responsible for the outcome in the same way that I felt responsible with my own kids. I have the same tension with them. You know, say your daughter. With a, yes. daughter. a mother is too close. It's too close. Right. Everything's right. an issue, you know. Yeah. Um, see, so that... A- absence, you know, Henry Nowen used to say this, but generally it's just, we bring something when we come and we leave something when we go. So it's important to visit somebody, it's important to leave, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, you know, so that, uh, um, see, your mother left you something in her leaving, mm-hmm. same as she gave you something during her life. 
Yes. The other dynamic that I've been aware of is that, you know, there's the biblical theological truth that when we see Jesus, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Like that, that the ultimate transformation, we're open to God's transforming work while we're here, but it's never going to be complete while we're here. But the promise is that when we see Jesus face to face, we will be fully like him. And there's also this sense in which I, and I, I don't even really have words for it, where I feel like I am experiencing her transformed self more than the you know the personality constructs and the things that we're always aware of when we're here on the earth physically with each other yeah. but it's almost like those things now have been a shell that have been cracked away and now as I know her and I experience her it's it's her and her transformed yeah. self um, yeah, so as we're talking about Lent and Easter there is just a great image in John's gospel when Jesus dies you know see and, and uh, they said they come and he's already dead and they pierced his side with a lance, and they said, immediately blood and water flowed out. Now, it's very significant. It flows out of the, the dead body of Jesus. You know, if you look at those are really primal symbols. First of all, um, that's a birth symbol. When a baby's born, blood and water come out of his womb. So something's being born from his dead side, okay? But blood is what? Blood is the life flow. Blood is your flow of life, and water washes you clean and quenches your thirst. So... What the first Christians experienced in Christ's death was uh, not a darkness, but a flow of of life and a flow of they felt less guilty than things before, which is exactly what you're feeling from your mother, you know, from your mother in her death. As sad as it is to lose your mother, blood and water is flown out of her. Uh, sometimes when I preach at a funeral, I use that image. I say, you know, from this from this casket, blood and water is flowing out, you know. I want to ask you one other thing, and that is, in your chapter on this, you actually talk about the dark night of the spirit, and you connect it to this part. Could you talk to us a little bit about the dark night? Yes. That, that is, see, we've been talking about the dark night now, humanly and scripturally. The mystics, you know, and notice scripture doesn't use that word. Jesus never talks about dark nights of the spirit. That's a, an image given us from mystical literature, but they use it to describe this season, you know. Um, and 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 they, they teased out some of the aspects that uh, um, that we should know about. So that they say in, in this in this period, um, when you they say this is a painful period in your life because it's a period of letting go. It's a period of losing your securities. You know, and that's where the Abraham Sarah text which says, "Go where you don't know where you're going." You know. Um, I always tell people, you know what's the, when we're going to experience that? When the doctor says you have terminal cancer, that you're getting on a plane, you don't know where you're going, and uh, and your real fruitfulness is going to happen there. So they call that the dark night of the spirit, um, and it's it's um, it's really your journey into death, you know. But but they said it's um, uh, especially they make things about uh, faith, so that at this stage, you know, as you get closer to God. Which, which is a paradox. When you get closer to God, you're seeing more light. But you know what happens when you have excessive light? You see nothing. If you look straight in the sun, you can't see anything. And it looks like a darkness. So they say, as you're drawing closer to God, it feels like your faith is going away. You know, it, it feels like you, because you can no longer imagine God. You can no longer imagine, you know, uh, what God looks like. You can't even imagine God's existence anymore. Um, 
And that's why you, you, you can feel like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know? Um, and then John of the Cross would say, again, most of the time we're going to enter that dark night conscriptively. It's going to be with a cancer diagnosis. It's going to be with, you know, a heart attack or whatever. Um, but he said, ideally, we should try to enter that um, on purpose. You know, we just say, I'm going to, uh, and for him, he said, it's interesting. I've never heard anybody else say that. He says, you know how you enter the dark night of the soul conscriptively? I mean, on purpose, you have to take the written word of God literally. Basically, you would, Jesus says, go sell everything you have to give it to the poor. You do that. <laughs> no, he said, but it goes all beyond all common sense. Um, you simply live your life radically according to the written word of scripture. And he says, don't try that too early, though. <laughs> Did John of the Cross say, there's nothing wrong with fundamentalism if you're dying. It is when, if you're 50 and raising a family, uh, you know, uh, don't sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Yes, and that is where this value of knowing what season you're in so that you know what the invitations really yeah. are can be so helpful. Because then you can give yourself to those invitations. So, Ron, what are the practices you could offer to us for this particular stage of our discipleship? Well, can I offer you a, a big practice, and, and if you can allow me an advertisement all at the same time. You know, our school, we've just started a new program we call Forest Dwelling, which, you know, we borrow from the idea from, from, from Hinduism, that, that there's a stage in your life between, you know, as you enter retirement, where you should almost like go back to school the way you did for university before. See, today, a lot of people... Uh, are entering their 60s and 70s very healthily. They're gonna live another 30 or 40 years, or 30, but they're not years for raising kids. Not years. So what are these years for? You know, um, so to, to do some kind of forest dwelling, either on your own by reading books, you know, start reading books on, and today there's a wealth of literature coming out on, on, on precisely this topic, death and dying and so on, um, to, to start looking at that, Deliberately, my, my spiritual journey now is what what does retirement mean for me, you know, uh, beyond grandkids and beyond a little bit of golfing, you know, but, but you know, what, what, what am I called to now? What's my new type of generativity, you know? Um, you know, if I'm in a wheelchair in a senior's home, how, I, how am, am I meant to be generative, you know, now? Um, you know, how can I do this so that this is my last greatest gift to my family and so on? Um, so I, I would, if you can't, in fact, Ruth, I'll give you a suggestion, you know, churches should start creating programs for that, you know, because there isn't a lot of spiritual help out there, we, we, because it's a new area. Uh, and you know why it's a new area? Because we used to die a lot younger. <laughs> now, if you die in the 60s or early 70s, you don't need this, you know, uh, but I, I'm really convinced that we have to, as churches, start creating some programs um, that, that, that for this where people meet and they pray about and so on, um, because it's a new area. People used to die a lot younger, um, and so this has caught us almost by surprise. Well, all of a sudden, we have all these people between 70 and 100. To give spiritual guidance for this stage of discipleship, yeah. Yeah. 
for those, you know, you've mentioned that most of us right now are in the generative phase, in the second stage. How can we prepare for this? Is there anything we can be doing now to prepare for this aspect of life, or do we just wait till it comes and then go to school on it then? Well, uh, let me tell, start with a story, and then I want to ask you a question. Mm-hmm. We had a priest in our, our, who lived to be 100, and he was a wonderful, wonderful man, because you know, there wasn't an ungracious or ungrateful body in his, bone in his body. And one day, one of our young priests went and said, Leo, he says, I want to age like you. Mm-hmm. Well, what do I do? And he said, start now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, start now with what? I want to get back to what we said in, in an earlier conversation. Mm-hmm. Working towards gratitude as opposed yeah. to resentment. You know, yes. I love that line from Morris West. When you're 75 years old, he said there should be three phrases that dominate your vocabulary. Thank you, thank you, and thank you. And he said, mm-hmm. and the audience said, then you have some important inner work to do. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, no, you, you don't prepare. So do the God. inner work right now so that when you get to 75, oh. thank you, thank you, thank you really is what's in yeah. your heart. And the inner work mm-hmm. is to, to say, you, you don't stop, or you don't try to say, how am I going to die? Say, when I come to die, I want to be grateful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, the key thing is that I want to work on gratitude in my life. You know, mm-hmm. and, and that's partly predicated on something else, forgiveness. So yes. I'll, I'll leave it with you. I always say when, when you get to be a certain age, Ruth, you're still young. Okay. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm, I'll I'm take that there. today. Thanks very I, much. I, I'm getting there. I say you only need three, probably two words left in your spiritual vocabulary. Gratitude and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Gratitude and forgiveness. We prepare for this by working at forgiveness because we don't forgive. We're never going to be grateful, you know, to forgive, to let go so we can be grateful. Uh, that's the way we prepare for death. You know, you don't try to psych out like, uh, uh, how can I morbidly think about death? <laughs> uh, when, when death catches me in whatever way, it, 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 it shouldn't catch me angry and bitter. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and with a lot of people I don't want to be at table with. Yes. You know, John Shade, a theologian, a friend of mine, I, I love a simple expression he says about heaven. He says, God's table in the kingdom is open to everybody who's willing to sit down with everybody. I love that expression. You know, who am I not willing to sit down with yet? You know? Uh, so yes. Gratitude, forgiveness, two words. Well, and one of our um, other teachers in the Transforming Center, we consider you to be one of our teachers, is Bob Mulholland, and he talks about the fact that forgiveness is a frontal assault on the false self. Yeah. And That's so, a good line. I love that. Yeah. Yes. And so for this to be a part of the practice of even our Lenten season, who have I not forgiven? Who am I unwilling to forgive? And what would it take for me to do the inner work to forgive so that I can be found grateful on the earth when God comes in for me. I want to be in heaven with. <laughs> yes, who do I, yes, who do I not want to sit down with? Who do I, and then go find those people and um, do the inner work. That's, that's wonderful. I think those are challenging practices and they are the practices we need. Yeah. Can you just give us a wrap up, some encouragement for this whole journey that you've been unfolding for us? Yeah, well, that, that's, a, that's a big question. Um, Again, Ruth, because of uh, if I were talking to 20-year-olds or I'm talking to young mothers mm-hmm. or I'm talking to a person like you, uh, it would probably be a little different advice mm-hmm. to each, you know. Uh, for the, the young people, I'd say, build your lives. Mm-hmm. Take, the, take the talent seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, 
enjoy your energies, but be careful with them, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and to the, the people who are the young mothers and the young busy executives and so on, I'd say, uh, 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 give yourself permission to be busy. Give yourself permission to not feel spiritual. Give yourself permission to sometimes find that you, you can't go to these church activities and so on. Um, but but also um, give yourself <laughs> you know, work on yourself that that these years don't slide by. Remember, like the joylessness. You, you don't want to be sitting in a wheelchair when you're 85 and saying, "God, I wish I'd enjoyed being a young mom." God, I wish I'd enjoyed those years when, when I was paying the mortgage and doing all this work. And then for people in late middle age and onward, then it's really clear. Get in touch with your angers. Get in touch with your bitterness. Get in touch with who you can't forgive. That's now your spiritual journey. Don't worry about, you said Catholics, you say bad thoughts. And when we were kids, we'd have to confess bad thoughts, but to do with sex, you know, when you get older, those are the only good thoughts you still have, you know. Now, now the task is that who do I don't want to be in a room with, you know, who, who, you know, who angers me and so on. Get in touch with your angers and that's got to be addressed. That more than anything else prepares us for death. You know, so that when you're 75 and maybe 80, it might take extra five years to say, thank you, thank you, thank you. you know. Amen. Thank you so much, Ron, for all you've offered us in these three episodes and for simply being a conversation partner for me today on spiritual transformation and the three struggles. Given the fact that we're so deep into Lent, I would like to close with a prayer that will help us open to God in this season, allowing Jesus to be our teacher as we enter into the deepest parts of the spiritual journey, but on our way to the resurrection, right? So let's quiet ourselves in God's presence touch the center of our being where God is present to us willing to listen to God in this place and as we continue our own Lenten journey we receive this prayer from the Book of Common Prayer and we allow it to become our prayer as well Almighty God, whose most dear Son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain, and entered not into glory before he was crucified, mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. On behalf of Ruth and the entire Transforming Center staff, thank you so much for listening. We're currently accepting applications for our next Transforming Community Spiritual Formation Experience for Christian Leaders. You can learn more by visiting transformingcenter.org slash TC. This podcast is a ministry of the Transforming Center and is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. If you've enjoyed Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast, please leave us a review and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen. You can also become a partner of the podcast and get exclusive benefits by visiting transformingcenter.org slash patron. 
During Lent, all new patrons will receive a digital version of Ruth's popular resource, Lent, a season of returning, which includes a guided reflection for each week of Lent so that you can experience Lent as a season of transformation. Again, learn more by visiting transformingcenter.org patron. Thanks so much for your support and for listening to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership.